Though the global pandemic may be slowing things down, Spring Branch is taking tangible steps forward to keep our economy strong, like supporting our local businesses, linking them to free online business courses, and help from our top leaders. Spring Branch is working for businesses. Yours. Find out more at sbmd.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Looped In. This is the Houston Chronicle podcast all about real estate. The dirt, the deals, the people, the places, it's all here. I'm Nancy Sarno, real estate reporter with the Houston Chronicle, and I'm here today with Alan West. Hey, Alan. Hey, Nancy. How are you doing? Very well. How are you? Good, good. Good. So today on the show, we are going to be talking about 4201 Main Street. Those in the know will immediately recognize that address, but for those who don't, 4201 Main is the former Sears building in Midtown. An old rundown department store that... Hey, rundown? Well, it was. It was rundown, yes. Okay, sorry. Defensive. Yeah, and I mean, you know, normally it might not seem like a big deal, but a couple of years ago, the property became big news, and it's still very much in the headlines for a number of reasons. Number one, it is in an incredibly important part of town between about halfway between downtown and the museum district. And it's also right next to a major transit hub. It's a historic art deco building that's been, or that's being repurposed versus torn down like so many others. It is owned by Houston's own Rice University. And lastly, it is part of a large scale redevelopment of 16 acres or so that is being called the Innovation Hub or the Innovation District. And joining us on Looped In today to talk about the property and the plans for it is Alan Arnold, the Investment Director for Real Estate at Rice Management Company. Alan is responsible for the real estate portfolio owned by Rice University's Endowment, and we are happy to have him here. Alan Arnold, welcome to Looped In. Thank you for having me. Uh, I guess this is podcast, not radio, but longtime listener, first-time caller. I know. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. And I also have to congratulate you for the Loopy Award. Oh, yes. um, I did hear that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's to you or to the building or if it's just like our little little world, but on on our 2019-18, just the one we had in January, the Loopy Awards, um, the Sears building— and the Innovation District won for Most Ambitious Project. I noticed it was Most Ambitious, which either means that they think that they like it or they think that we're crazy. And, and uh, I think hopefully it's the former. So we'll yeah, talk about that. No, I think, I'm sure it is. It's, uh, I think it was, I think it won a Loopy Award the year earlier, <laughs> too, have. because it was after you guys, you guys bought it or you took back the property. Anyway, big, I know it's a big deal. And uh, again, I, I, I congratulate you wholeheartedly. So in January, you all announced a new name for the building. It's called the ION, and you released a bit more information, including more about the development timeline, and you introduced some some new renderings. Can you tell us, I guess let's start by telling us and telling listeners what the project is. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I think first and foremost, um, so I work for the endowment. Rice mm-hmm. Management Company manages the permanent capital base of the school. So I think the first thing to understand is that this is an investment of the endowment. And the endowment, we support the school. It's our only beneficiary. And so okay. the school 
40 percent, four zero, of the annual operating budget of the school is drawn annually from the endowment. So without the endowment, Rice University would exist, but it would be unrecognizable in current form. Mm-hmm. To example of that is the recent Rice recently announced a thing called the Rice Investment. So there's massive tuition support in, in different gradations, all the way up to households that make up to two hundred thousand of annual income. So there, that's an additional way of signaling that Rice's dedication, based upon the endowment and its its continued success, which is pressure on our CIO and me and our team, <laughs> but we're up for it, to continue producing the right returns to allow you know the best and brightest to come to Rice, regardless of the ability to pay. So first. Understanding the project is that it's an investment of the endowment, and that's what the endowment goes for. Um, secondly, before we get all into it, it's a little bit of perhaps how we got there. Yeah, You'd have to wind the clock way back to 1938. Rice and Sears did a ground lease, a 99-year ground lease. And at the time, Sears was the Amazon of its day. It was the world's greatest retailer. So what could ever go wrong with a you know investment-grade 99-year lease? <laughs> I mean, a little bit the hubris of that, right? right. Thinking 99 years, what could Nothing change? Nothing change, right? Yeah. And what changed was that by the late 60s or 70s, have you ever been in one of those museums and seen a piece of amber and there's an unfortunate little bug that must have fallen in and mm-hmm. got trapped for millennia, like frozen in time? <laughs> That's a little bit what that part of Midtown turned into, that as Sears retrenched and they fortified their store and bricked up the windows and became like a bunk insular bunker. Yeah. They retrenched and they let the neighborhood around it decay. And they yeah. really were just holding down the fort, but not paying attention. So we felt compelled, our endowment team, our CIO, Allison Thacker, who started seven years ago, I joined five and a half years ago, to try to do something to unlock that. So I called on them every, but once a quarter for five years. Really? You know, like drip, drip, drip. I'm here. I'd like to make a deal. Hmm. And they were unwilling to do anything reasonable until I think their financial pressures became such that they got more reasonable. Mm -hmm. So that's where we got where we are is that there was something to do. Before then, there was nothing to talk about or do. They were frozen in amber. Right. Wow. Wow. Five years. Five years. A lot of calls. (laughs) That's so interesting. A lot of conversations, but only fruitful ones. This is my opinion. I believe the pressure's mounted Mm -hmm. on them. We've seen what's happened to them in the two years since. Right. Yeah, they've filed for bankruptcy and closing so many stores. Closing so many stores. And this this store, it had seen better days. I mean, Sears had, like you said, they were the Amazon of their day. They had a long run, but... Well, if you think about how much Midtown or, or just our whole city has evolved and changed, this is a dynamic place. It's funny to have 16 acres, or it was nine at the time, we're now in 16, that was just frozen in time. Yeah. And the other thing we noticed is that hmm. we both, myself and our real estate team at the endowment, but also prior to this, I was at a firm called Limestone Investments, and we'd done a lot of work in these other cities with a lot of technology companies. And you see these 50,000-foot floor plate, high clear, former hmm. warehouse, industrial, whether it's south of market, San Francisco or Soho or Chicago, Houston really didn't produce many of those buildings in the urban core, and yet you walk in this one, and once you got past the cheap T-shirts and the, you know, the lingerie and the this and that and the and the and the washer and dryers, you look at the bones. The bones are actually great. Yeah, there's 14 foot clear height and 40 to 50 thousand foot slabs. Yeah, All right. That's actually really hard to find inside the loop. Mm-hmm. What a lot of 
smart tenant rep brokers and others tell us, and we've observed ourselves, is that tenants increasingly want that, but it's very expensive to reproduce, and there aren't many legacy buildings. So we wanted to keep it in spite of what most people told us of, why would you keep that thing? Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Can you tell us uh, what what it's going to be? Yes. So it will be the the anchor, the first the first investment, really the beacon for the innovation district. The next question I usually get is, what the heck is that? Right. right. <laughs> so so I, I did look up, so you can have a formal definition that I can tell you more what I, what I think about it. Okay. So Brookings, who's written extensively about the innovation economy and districts, says. An innovation district is, quote, an area where leading-edge anchor institutions and companies cluster and connect with startups, business incubators, and accelerators. And they go on to say the district should be physically compact, transit-accessible, technically wired, and offer a mix of uses. Mm-hmm. So that's a long-winded definition, but there's, it's very dense with important words in mm-hmm. there. And what I'd say is that, in essence, basically a district is a unique kind of urban place for idea generation, which now we've, in a knowledge economy leads to economic growth and vitality. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're looking to create on that 16 acres. But it's 16 acres. And so now there's a lot of surface parking, and the building has a relatively small footprint. So can you talk maybe about um, beyond the building and, and some of the, the other uses that you're trying to mix in? So I can, although those plans are certainly more fluid than sure. the building itself, where we're, we're in construction drawings now, and we'll start the interior work in a couple months. Um, so th- we're finishing a master plan, or still working to a master plan on the overall district, to have, as that definition said, a balance of uses tilted towards technology or creative industries, so therefore office buildings, but, you know, quote, not your father's or mother's office building, you know, more of this sense of different kinds of floor plates and configurations that, that really are part of a walkable and green and diverse district. This will not be another, nothing wrong with this, but not another just set of midtown, you know, Houston donut apartment buildings or high rises. We'll mix in some, some residential, maybe even some smaller format residential, smaller units to keep it more affordable mm-hmm. um, and some retail. But primarily this is about jobs economic development, and about including job training and the, and the participation of 10 local colleges and universities to help anchor, as they talk about anchor institutions. These are permanent institutions, you know, Rice, University of Houston, Texas Southern, HCC. I mean, there's a, actually, I better name them all if I name some. <laughs> Lone Star, San Jack, South Texas College of Law, UH Downtown, St. Thomas, Houston Baptist, uh, I mean, hope I didn't miss anybody because the list is long. UH, oh yeah, yeah. UH, UH downtown. Yeah. Um, So these are anchor institutions that are permanent fixtures of our community. Mm -hmm. So very different than just another office sub-market. These are anchored by these folks with an educational and technological bent. Then you bring in, that we're going to bring in companies who appreciate that intellectual capital component and mix it in a way that this market's not seen before in a very compact area. Are these institutions going to lease space in the building? Are other companies going to lease space? Is it going to be run 
sort of like an incubator or an accelerator, you know, in five years or or two years or 10 years or when this building is all said and done, when you walk up to it within two years, when you open the, the, you know, front door, walk in, what are you going to see? And what are you going to see on the directory? (laughs) <laughs> this will be a bit of a different kind of building for uh-huh. Houston. So it's, it's there's not a perfect analogous building here. Now, there are in districts such as in South Lake Union in Seattle or in uh, Cambridge, East Cambridge, near Kendall Square in Boston and examples like that in other markets. But to explain it just in the Houston context, when one walks into the ION, one will see that main ground floor with two different restaurants, one very casual that will be called the Garden or something there, thereabouts, another more of a traditional kind of lunch and restaurant. But most of that space will be for convening, will be for the public, mm-hmm. inclusive of a massive stair. So you've seen stairs that can double as amphitheaters, and that's what we plan to draw people and under this amazing light well that refracts and fills the center of the building with light that our architecture team has designed, which is fantastic to get light into this big building, that will draw people down into the lower level, which is completely community benefit, educational, where there will be sessions for entrepreneurs led by Station Houston, so Gabby Rowe and her team. There will be sessions led by the various colleges and universities on where that's job training for local community residents, both just immediately surrounding Montrose Third Ward or broadly in the metro area. There could be talks from people coming to speak about entrepreneurship. There could be the talks where venture capital firms hopefully will come and we'll have office space reserved for them to land for a day or a few hours to attract the capital that ultimately these young entrepreneurs and young businesses need. So think of the entry floor and the lower floor is almost 100,000 feet, a really community benefit space where rice will really not, there won't be much net revenue from that space Mm -hmm. for for the endowment. Mm -hmm. And then floors two and three are being renovated and floors four and five are being added de novo to the building, which you saw in the renderings. Mm -hmm. Those will be more market rate space. Okay. The thought of being almost that you graduate up as you go and the higher you go, the a little more premium and maybe larger companies. But floors two and three are space for the young entrepreneur. I say young, they could be whatever age person, but young right. companies have room to expand and to grow if they turn into a so-called gazelle company that really takes flight and has room to grow. There'll be space for that. So the bottom line is we're trying to create a place that has several different gradations of both rent or cost, Mm -hmm. as well as functionality, so it serves a broad base of Houston. Okay, that's a great description. And so, will Rice program all of the events on the lower floors? Will there be another company that does that, as well as leasing the space on the upper floors? So, the programming will be led by a combination of Station Houston. Uh Uh-huh and this coalition of 10 colleges and universities, of which Rice is one, Mm -hmm. uh, but there are others. And right now there's already a working group well underway in their planning. I don't have the matrix in front of me, Mm -hmm. but it's all 10 schools and about five or six different areas, such as workforce training, uh, entrepreneurship, mentorship, et cetera, that different schools have said, yes, we have a specialty in that. Like HCC is literally three blocks down the street. And other, some of the community colleges are really into workforce training. That's mm-hmm. part of their core value to our community. And so 
they, many of them have put their hands up saying, yes, we'd like to bring some of our programming out of our own walls and bring it into here for sort of a greater benefit. So it'll be a mix of that group plus Station Houston. Um, any university of those group can have what we said a small little office, but the idea is not to hang a big banner and lease a bunch of space and have it empty. What we're trying to do is have all the space active like a beehive. And so it's more about when you need it, there'll be space, but it rotates and moves. We keep the place lively with a real energetic, dynamic feeling because those are the kind of people that we want to attract as the tenants and the companies. So you're not going to have a big sign that says naming rights available on the outside? <laughs> Look, we, 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 we'll, we'll be fishing. Yeah. We'll be fishing for yeah. some big fish for floors four and five, right, apologetically. Right. And and we have some we're speaking to already, none I can name on today's podcast. Sorry. Okay, no problem. It won't no be problem. you heard it here first, but— <laughs> Uh, but there will be, I can Am- say, Amazon. Amazon. We're, uh, <laughs> let's not go there. But, but, uh, but I will say that there, if we get even a few of the many of these people we're speaking out about, I think people from the mayor's office to the Greater Houston Partnership to many of the city council members and other stakeholders who've been big supporters of this from the beginning, as well as Rice University is putting the capital in and others, I think we'll be very pleased with what they see. That mm-hmm. they'll see that that. Unlike what maybe Amazon, since you brought them up, might think about our town, that we don't have this kind of talent or whatever, we do have it here. And these companies should be here. It's just, as Houston, because we're a multinodal, you know, we are the city we are, which we all love, but we have our pluses and minuses. It's not as self-evident that you go to this one space today. Where in Houston do you go if it's not maybe a big single-tenant, big corporate campus, maybe you have a big energy company, Mm -hmm. to find this intellectual capital? And we aim to make this the place that if a venture capitalist drops in a hobby and they've got three hours between flights and then come to one spot, this is where the, we hope they go everywhere. We hope they at least come here to start to see the variety of what Houston has to offer and make it easy for them so that they come back and invest more. Hmm. Well, I know that we don't have an architect with us today, but it would be great to talk a little bit about the design and some of the you know, some of the inspiration or or some of the, the vision, I guess, for this building. And you've mentioned the staircase and the um, the open, uh, the, the light well. The light well, essentially. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of this. I think we're calling it the sky well. The sky well. Because it would be interestingly sky lit. And, but yes, I'd love to talk about our, our team. So it, it starts with, we're a very small team in the endowment. And mm-hmm. so... We're very blessed that that our board of directors and President David Liebern and others gave us the go-ahead to do this because they saw the same thing, that the sort of frozen and amber and decaying blacktop parking lots just were not doing anyone any good. And so they, they enabled us to act. But then to act, we had to surround ourselves with people who can really execute versus our small team. And so we started with a group called HRNA Advisors, John Allshuler's firm, who used to advise the Menil and is was a lead advisor uh, in the creation of the High Line in New York and other things that are signature urban moments. He's a real student of just great urban places. And as part of that, he helped us assemble a team that started with shop architects. Mm -hmm. So shop is the design architect. They're finishing up now the the, uh, design and execution of Uber's headquarters in San Francisco, for example. They completely get the mindset of the tech tenant not just on the West Coast, but everywhere. And they've worked across the country. So they're the design architect. 
they brought in James Carpenter's firm. James Carpenter um, is effectively an artist with light and glass. Hmm. And so he did the curtain wall of Seven World Trade Center, the mm-hmm. first building to come out of the hole after 9-11. That is this interesting facade which changes colors and refract, refract, refracts, excuse me, that's a hard word to say, light. Um, and he's the one responsible for helping get more light into this building. Sears built it like a casino. Yeah. Mm. As little light gets in as possible, they wanted to capture, <laughs> I guess, the shopper and make him forget that they spent three hours buying lingerie and, and you know, linens and tools, tools and, you know, whatever. So, <laughs> so we're changing that. We're, we're punching a lot of holes uh-huh. on the exterior into the main center. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gensler is the production architect, and you know Gensler. They're going to get the job done. Heinz is the fee developer, same thing. You know Heinz are going to get the job done. Mm-hmm. So that effect, and there's lots of other, there's a gazillion other people. It takes right. a village to do these kind of things. Right. And renovations are harder than just ground up. Right. So even more people in that sense. Uh, but that's the core team. The first big story was that all this, the, the, the sort of metal cladding that you mentioned from the 60s, that started to come off. We started to see this beautiful Art Deco or, original facade. What's the state of the building now once you get inside it and you look at the the quality of of the building? There's a lot of work there. So so what um when you look at the building, what do you see? Um what are some of the major challenges? Right. The central the way our team has described it internally and worked on it is that the building has fundamentally really good bones, like we described. Fourteen foot clear, fifty thousand foot plates, unlike anything in most anything in Houston. The central challenge was light. Okay. And so, the interestingly, there are a lot more windows on the thing than one can see now that the panels are pulled off because Sears bricked them, most of them up in the late 60s, I guess, out of fear of urban change or decay or what have you. Well, we're reopening all those that they closed and then punching a bunch more. So, we're, we're adding a lot of light first. Then secondly, look, to make this building um, – we are, let's put it this way, we're not seeking historic tax credits because this is not a, although we are super mindful of the history and we want to do our best to make it even better than Sears made it in 38, it has to be adapted to be a totally different use than a department store. And Sears let it obviously decay, you know, the whole frozen and amber thing mm-hmm. that happened on the inside too. So we're gutting most of the building. And instead, what will come back is something that is lead- well wired, you know, all three of these certifications for real modern technology, technologically savvy building that suits office tenants and people that want to be there, that it's a healthy, intelligent place to be. So that requires a lot of work. But I will say that people will recognize, even people from longtime Estonians, they will recognize certain elements of the facade, of the the verticality of some of those light those glass blocks, they will recognize that. And even some of those pieces have been tastefully incorporated even into some of the interior features to continue the historic piece. Last thing I'd say there is that there's a certain number of what you'd call relics from the building, <laughs> from the sign on the top to the old boiler room and these massive you know, pneumatic tube controls and things that are just too beautiful to be jettisoned. So we're removing them, cataloging them, and we'll strategically display them in a variety of ways in the building and in the plaza on the north side of the building. Because 
they're just beautiful and they speak to the history. We think people will enjoy that and we feel it's the right thing to do. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. What are you doing with the sign, the big Sears sign? And is it is it still there? It's still there. It's been <laughs> it's, blacked out. It's still there. They they their MO is to black out with paint all their insignia before they close a store. Um, we haven't decided exactly, except that except that we will we will save it and then we'll figure out a way to place it. And I'm not a you know intellectual property attorney to say can we or can we not display it certain ways, but we'll we'll figure that out. I just it's so interesting to me this blacked out sign. It's such a such a metaphor. <laughs> yeah, we have to get a picture of that and yeah and put that up. Yeah. I, I actually have not been over there in in a bit. So well, I'm past there quite a bit. I live in the neighborhood. Okay, and, and maybe I, and I'm sort of interested too in uh, the uh, one person on the team that you didn't mention is James Corner Field Operations, who's going to be doing a lot of landscape work, right? Like I said, the danger of listing people is then you don't know where to stop. So yes, James Corner Field Operations is you know, one of the most premier uh, landscape design firms in the country, if not the world. And they've been working on TMC3. They've done a, just an amazing yep. body of work. So yes, they are engaged to do the landscape design on the north side of the building, that plaza, and to do green space throughout the master plan of the district. Okay, so I have a, a question, and I know we addressed this a, a few minutes ago and realizing that it's still very early in the process, but this is part of a, a you know this bigger parcel of land. And I believe we, we've actually talked about this somewhat, but is your intention to sell pieces to developers or mm-hmm. will you develop it yourself with, partners what what are the you know what are the plans for creating the a cohesive district, district. i guess right so great question i mean the, the first plan the first plan is to have a plan mm-hmm. have a master plan and owning 16 acres plus we've had great discussions with uh with the church with south south main mm-hmm. baptist we're not planning with them but they're look they they've as an aside they've been very clear that when many churches abandoned you know, the, the urban core, you know, 30, 40 years ago, they stuck it out and done a lot of great community service for for a lot of communities in the area. So they are glad that something's finally happening, and they may well do some of their own plans that, that, that dovetail nicely. Then there's Metro's land. They own another 10, 15 acres to the south of us. Altogether, I mean, that's 35, almost 40 acres uh, of land that, that in, in various configurations that could be transformative for our city. Mm-hmm. Now, we only control 16s. That's all from here forward I'll talk about. And on that, we're finishing out a master plan. And then to execute that, what we plan to do is have individual parcels that are sized and shaped and ready for desired property types. And then to create a process where a small handful of firms will be invited to to bid and get the best execution we can for you know for us as the ownership to then execute vertical development. We are not going to go build a development company inside of the endowment, mm-hmm. and we do plan to partner with people <laughs> yeah. who are really good at this. And it may be some tried and true local names, and it may be some that are not as well known in this in this city, but are very well known in more of the innovation economy regionally and nationally. Mm-hmm. We want the best and the brightest to have a look at this because it's a very special, uh, special place. And would the endowment sell any of its land? 
Uh, th- we'll determine all that as we go. Okay. I mean, there mm. we could sell land, we could ground lease land, but we're that's all. I mean, TBD. we'll make the TBD. Yeah, TBD. TBD is the Got best it. thing. Okay, all right. And one thing I was thinking of when you were talking about the different types of housing, will there be, um, or is is there a, a desire to have? any sort of affordable housing component. You did mention having smaller units, potentially, say, maybe in a, res- a rental building that that would be uh, less expensive. Um, mm. But, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the area, and I read this piece that someone wrote for Gray Matters, mm-hmm. that woman... And and then what I spent most of my time reading was the comments on it, which I know is not the smart thing to do, <laughs> but but I wanted to I wanted to kind of be, feel like I was not part of the debate, but mm-hmm. I wanted to be I wanted to listen in on the debate, and sure. I thought it was really interesting because it was about half the people saying um, yes, rice management company should be the ones to work with the city and to make sure people living in these homeless camps are taken care of. And then the other half of the people were saying, this has been this way for 20 plus years and nothing's happened since. And 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 so why put it all on rice? I just think it's a, a interesting debate. And I mm-hmm. would wonder what your thoughts are and what your discussions are like in your office about that. Sure. So, so look, I'd start by saying first, um, on the homeless question in particular, that it's, I have a personal approach to this, just given some work I've done in my personal time where the last five years I've been a volunteer and donor and board member at Covenant House Texas. So Mm -hmm. Covenant House Texas is the leading provider of homeless services to homeless youth ages 18 to 24 in the city and is actually one of the, I think the leading one in the country as well. So I've been very involved there. Leslie Bourne and her team do a phenomenal job. I've been out on multiple occasions on outreach efforts late at night under that 59 bridge mm-hmm. in that location and other overpasses around town and seen firsthand and handed out blankets and food to to adult homeless while also looking for any youth homeless that may want to come in out of the cold to Covenant House. So I don't mean that I know everything on this, but I, but I've spent some personal time getting to know what this looks and feels like. And these it's a human tragedy, homelessness. It's a major societal issue. Uh, and and I, for one, I wouldn't say that I claim to have the answers, and I don't think that Rice has the answers. I will say that there's some really good people, starting from in the city, as well as the Coalition for the Homeless, and groups like Covenant House that are actively working on additional low-barrier shelters and on additional outreach and on what happens when TxDOT tears down that overpass, which is going to happen within the next two to three years. Right. And what I'd say is I think the best role— that I could say, just speaking personally, not speaking for Rice, but for me as an individual or any group such as Rice or others, would be to try to be supportive of what these groups that are the real natural leaders around this issue who know the most and have the most um, ability to enact good positive social change is to help get behind things that they suggest are the best, not just for the city, but also for these individuals. Because these are real human beings and need to be cared for and provided for in a in a generous um, and prosperous city. So that doesn't answer that I know what we do about it, but I think that 
that's where I'd start from is I think we're going to do a lot of listening mm-hmm. and looking to those groups to help lead and let us see how we can support and, and be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And I've been writing a bit about affordable housing, actually, with um, with, <laughs> yeah. with tax credit mm-hmm. projects that are now being proposed because it's the beginning of the year. And this is the time that, that um, they uh, start applying for tax credits with the state. And there's just been a lot of talk about gentrification and, and where you build these affordable housing projects. Do you feel like there's a, a place for one in this in this area? Do you feel like there's an opportunity to have sort of a, a, a mixed income building or something along those lines? Right. So look, great questions. I think broadly, if we get past homelessness, is the broader question of just gentrification is also yeah. one of these big societal things that, that's, a, that's a tough challenge nationwide. And that we, I heard one of your recent podcasts on this topic, and people talked at length about third ward and mm-hmm. concerns. So what I start with first is by saying, again, remember the, the amber analogy that mm-hmm. this area in the discrete boundaries of this property has been frozen in time, and there's no one or nobody there on that spot. And secondly, it is to create jobs as well as 100,000 feet that we're doing as a public benefit at very little to no yield which is about job training and reaching out to the community, Montrose, Third Ward, everywhere to bring people together and up with this economic uplift. So those two things first said, then I'd say, look, there's a lot of listening that we need to do Mm -hmm. and that we've had to add to our team because we're thinly staffed, we're an endowment, and these are newer kind of projects for us. And we are adding and have added, and we'll do a lot more listening and talking to people because if this is where the pebble first drops, there's nothing to be gentrified on a cracked up asphalt parking lot, but we understand there can be ripple effects and we want to be very sensitive to that and try to engage with community partners as best we can. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing not to forget is about pure affordability. The real opportunity here is that we're at a major rail, light rail station and a Mm -hmm. major bus transit hub combined. We're with a new freeway project that'll create better access to this location we have major street grids that work very well, like Fannin and Sand Jack are really good arteries there. We have great bike lanes we plan to improve through our part of the district and connect to what Doreen's doing at, at Herman Park, what others are doing in the city. So this has the ability and plus the parking changes that the city has proposed to, to basically extend the downtown district. I think that makes so much sense. If you think about wasted cost, how do you make things more affordable? You start having to build massive concrete garages that if we're serious about mixed use and transit, that people in that Main Street spine, at least, I don't mean in the neighborhoods, but at least in that Main Street spine, there's no reason there should be, you know, these 25 per thousand or whatever, you know, it's these <laughs> gargantuan parking ratios mm-hmm. like your, uh, you know, a um, suburban strip mall. Mm-hmm. And, if, and you get that strip out that cost and you let people live in a more affordable way and build perhaps some... We live type or smaller micro units yeah. and, and metros. Tom Lambert's talked about doing maybe some affordable housing partnerships. And before you know it, we begin to let the market and community people together create some more variety. Yeah, doesn't mean there won't be some expensive units too. I mean, again, we've got to fund scholarships and do some things that are market driven. I think there's ability for the market to have a variety of price points, which is also healthier for innovation. You have people colliding in interesting ways to spur 
different kinds of thinking and different kinds of experiences. And we're, we're very excited about that. But we see it as a welcome challenge, not as a, oh, no, we got to talk about that. Yeah. Well, I just have one last question. Go for it. And that's about the fiesta. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just something that uh, we know is going to be part of this development because you own the land there as well. And I was reading an older article, and I think it was two years old, and it said the lease is up in two years. So do you have any update on on that store? Only update I have is that, just to remind your listeners that, uh, or they may not know, that right before we were about to close on the transaction with Sears, um, Fiesta had effectively notified Sears they were leaving. And we went to Sears and said, we need you to do whatever it takes to keep them in for some period just to just to allow for a better transition. And so we they slashed the rent with our approval a lot mm-hmm. right before we closed, which became the lease we took over. So so that's all I know at the moment. They still have term left on their lease. Okay. And as long as we're still planning and moving through a district, look, they may, I can't speak of their future plans. Um, but right now we did the best we could to keep them in for mm-hmm. now. But but they had indicated perhaps that they may not be long for that site. So again, we can only do what we can do on, on our side. Mm-hmm. And that whatever happens overall on the land, we do plan, plan to build a first-rate mixed-use innovation district and a surface-parked one-story grocery store you know, may not be the best configuration, but there will be other options for food. And you know, HEB is building a new store in 288 as well. I mean, the market's changing dynamically, and so we're going to assess that and try to do the right thing for the site and for the market and for the community. Well, Alan, is there anything else that you'd like to add? This, is, this has been great. I thank you so, so much for coming on and, and talking about this. It's, um, you've enlightened me and I'm sure all of our listeners. Well, I hope so. I and mean, again, yeah. it's the kind of thing we get a lot of questions about yeah. because it's, it's a bit of an unusual project, but it's the kind of project that because of what, what the proceeds, what we do at the endowment, what it goes for mm-hmm. in terms of you know, best possible students without regard to what, the, what they can pay, and the quality of this site, and the number of people that have been involved at various levels in support, it makes it pretty easy to get out of bed in the morning and work on this. Yeah. doesn't mean it's not hard, but it's a lot of fun, and I think it's a wonderful opportunity for our city to really get past the so-called Amazon snub and show the country what we're really about as far as moving forward and diversifying our economy and, and having jobs and vitality for our future. So we're super excited about it. So thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah, anytime. Hopefully, uh, maybe maybe one day we can take looped in on the road again and come to the come to the building as you guys are are working on it and walk around and talk more about the the light the light well the sky well sky well the sky yes. well and the plaza and the new the pneumatic tubes. <laughs> <laughs> as we get going, we'll be happy to host you. That'd be fun. Thank you so much, um, Alan. Thank you for being here, and listeners. We hope you enjoyed it. If you don't already, please subscribe to Looped In on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you would, please rate us and write a review. It helps us grow. If you have an idea for a show or you just want to say hi, you can reach me on Facebook or Twitter. I am at N Sarnoff. Thanks so much and have a great day. 